You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome. (laughs) Thanks for that, Matt. To episode number 57 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I'm in uh, Matt's conservatory studio we again this week. Just two weeks in a row. It's very exciting. I know. Yeah. I know. Weather is a lot better than it was last time. <laughs> yep, no rain on the no forecast. Rain, at the no rain, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've just had a, an awesome roast dinner courtesy of yes. uh, Matt and his mother as well. Mm, yes. I should warn you, I've also had wine, so this could be a fascinating <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Yes, and I also mine. had a glass of wine. Yes, yes, so it should go swimmingly. So Only one. If there's a large sort of pause, silent gap as we've both nodded off during it. Oh, but we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. Yeah, so you join us in for episode 57. Yes. And it is Sunday the 19th of April. Indeed. Where and, is the year uh, going? I know, already, this seriously. year is flying by. Yeah. It's uh, just coming up to quarter to two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we've got... Yes, we're slightly we're, late recording, purely slightly because, late, we've, yeah, we've, because we've... we had dinner. Large meal. <laughs> large meal. But, um, but no, how have you, how's your week been, Matt? Yeah, all right, I think. Yeah, survived. That's always a good sign. Yeah, good. <laughs> That's all we can hope for. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. A little bit apprehensive, off to London tomorrow. Yes, you just yeah. said you're off to London tomorrow. Yeah, it's taking, taking a local high school there for a conference at the City Temple, something around. Oh other whatever one of those is up near Holborn so I'm hoping that all the the fire and all that kind of thing and uh, and that has all settled down so it should be fun hoping to park on the embankment and have a quiet day frankly with flight radar 24 on your phone looking at all the aircraft flying around over London um no yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, all right. Of course yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> That's why I told you to download that app. I see. Right, yes. okay. I tell you, every day is, in fact, a school day. It is, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So I, I had a lovely afternoon yesterday at my mm-hmm. local club. Oh, I, yes. did, I didn't have a lesson. No. I had a lesson on Thursday. Just hanging out. Uh, I was just hanging out yeah. at the club, yes. It was yes, really you had nice. fun landing on Thursday, it has to be said, Yes, I, think. I had <laughs> a rather interesting lesson on yes. Thursday, which entailed me landing on uh, runway 09 mm-hmm. um, through thick black smoke mm, that was uh, yes. w- was coming up from a, a local garage that had caught fire. Yes. Also, also um, on the airfield, isn't it? On the yeah, airfield, yeah. yeah. yeah it's all very uh, awful. Terrible and pictures. Yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a mess. And uh, yeah, I flew through the uh, flew through yeah. through the smoke. Yeah, great news though. Nobody was hurt. No, no one was hurt. Yes, no, yes. no. Yeah. But it made for quite an interesting, okay. um, yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I must admit, when I was on the coast heading mm. back, it did made it it made it very easy for me to find my way back to the right. airfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, just the thick column of black, black smoke. smoke. Yeah, you think, yeah. oh yeah, Ella's over there somewhere. Yes. Um, had they radioed in to let you know that there was yes, a fire? Then, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, the ground control had radioed us and, and let us know that there was a mm. uh, a fire just okay. off uh, off the you know edge of the runway. There with the threshold of zero nine. So just out of curiosity, then, if if there had been a, a if if for whatever you couldn't land at Ella. I mean, what what what's Plan B? Well, I had loads of fuel. Yeah, I had loads of fuel. I had uh, over an hour's fuel left yeah. in my little Cessna 150. Yeah, so I could have uh, flown to probably gone to somewhere like Seething, which right. is um, oh, a yeah, few miles yeah. away. Yeah, uh, and, and then, then just uh, wait until it all died yeah, down, and or just somebody else there. take it back. Yeah, yeah. which uh, I wouldn't have been. Um, no, you'd have been all right. With, yeah, yeah, I'd have been totally all right with that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd yeah. have been like my first cross country. Really, oh, it, uh, how lovely. It'd be good. It's, yeah. yeah, but uh, and how was the coast? I should imagine it was lovely. It was lovely. I'll tell you what. Cracking weather on. I have. I say this all the time to friends and, and family, but mm. it it really is the best when you're up there. At, 
3,500 feet, mm. which is where I was yeah. on Thursday, over the coast, uh, east coast of the UK. Yeah. Uh, the visibility was phenomenal. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not many clouds and, uh, oh, God, it was so nice. Yeah, I, bet. I, I bet. did not want to come back. No, I bet. And yeah. go to work. No, <laughs> well, there is that. Yes. <laughs> Never mind. At least you were at work on a high. That's yes. Amazing. Yes, yeah. yes. And yeah. uh, obviously, I look forward to doing this show each week. Well, which is great. That. Yes. So yes. that's good. <laughs> so we've got lots of news to we bring have. you this yes. week. Uh, we've also got a segment from Pip. He sent yeah. us in his third, third installment yeah, of yeah. the final part of his uh, yeah. A Day in the Life of Pip. We've just, we've just been listening to it, actually. It's, it's really it, good. Again, it's a, another another lovely little read. It's, it's great just to, to get a feel for, as I say, because I, I drive a coach and I have to do inspection every time before I take it out so it's been for me it's been really fascinating to hear how much more involved it is just checking the plane to to make sure it's alright I mean which is good I suppose I mean mm. you know they tend to make more of a mess <laughs> when something goes wrong <laughs> but no 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 all, all good indeed all good. Yes. All good. so a busy show as usual yes we have so we're going to kick off this week then as we always do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK so if you're ready Matt certainly am coffee fueled and ready to rock let's go <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story on the Insider Media Limited site. And this one is uh, regarding an airport we talk about quite often on mm, the show, yeah. Luton, uh, Luton Airport. Uh, passenger numbers fly ahead of a hundred million expansion. Mm. So Luton, uh, London Luton Airport has hailed a surge in passenger numbers ahead of its one hundred million pound expansion project. The airport reported an eighteen point six percent increase in passenger numbers in March two thousand fifteen, with eight hundred and forty thousand eight hundred and twenty passengers flying from the airport, marking it um, or the twelfth uh, consecutive month of growth. Wow. Luton's uh, £100 million redevelopment programme is set to increase annual capacity from 12 million to 18 million passengers per year by 2026. It will also bring out improvements, including a complete redesign of the terminal and major upgrades to transport links. Chief Executive Nick Barton said growth is beginning uh, or being driven by the airport's great range of destinations, as well as our excellent transport links and easy access from London and the surrounding regions. Our £100 million redevelopment will allow us to improve the airport's facilities and add new capacity to ensure we can continue to meet this growing demand. I mean, it's a busy airport, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a fan of it, and I know you're not overly keen either, but you mm. you can't argue with the numbers, can you? I no, mean, no, no. I, it, the, the, I've always said the one thing that lets Luton Airport down mm. is is the airport, the structure, the layout yeah. of the airport yeah. and everything. Yeah. But with this... With the hundred million pound expansion, yeah. um, it's obviously going to improve things mm. a lot. You know, very much. So. The facilities when we flew out from there um, early this not year yeah. were not good. No, 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 no. Our, our experience was less than positive. I think is the way to to headline that. So, uh, yes, yeah. Fingers crossed that they get they get that done uh, as soon as possible. On to the next story. Then this is on marketingmagazine.co.uk, and the headline is Ryanair joins Instagram four years after British Airways and EasyJet. Ryanair has finally joined Instagram, targeting both aviation geeks and the travel community. The budget airline has launched the the hashtag Wingsy 
competition inviting travellers to post their best plane impressions for a chance to win one of five 100 euro flight vouchers. It's also posting aircraft models under the AV, hashtag AVGeek tag, uh, tapping into an existing community of plane spotters and enthusiasts on Instagram. Ryanair is slightly late to the party, joining Instagram well after rivals such as British Airways, EasyJet and Monarch. British Airways is a regular Instagram user and has been active since April 2011. Monarch signed up more recently in November last year. EasyJet's account no longer appears to be active as of September 2012, but was created in June 2011. An EasyJet spokeswoman confirmed that the airline now sees Facebook and Twitter as its likely uh, social channels. Uh, Ryanair's communications chief, Robin Keeley, said that we're already the fastest responding airline on Twitter while our YouTube videos have been viewed over 3 million times. And we look forward to branching out onto other social platforms in the coming months. A spokeswoman confirmed Ryanair's account is an organic rather than paid for activity. Now, I've, I've just, this, while you've been on reading that story, I've yes. just been on Instagram. Oh, yes. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've just started following them. Have you? Good yes. boy. Good boy. Yes. 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 Well, I, I think I, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't think EasyJet's um, uh, uh, Instagram account will, will be uh, dormant for very much longer, I dare say, if rival Ryanair is suddenly using it en masse. You're smiling. So, what have you found? <laughs> as, as we record the show then, yes. um, so far on Instagram, uh, Ryanair has 1,718 followers. Oh, oh, well, there we are. Yes. And you, they're, they're you, following one person. We sh- Really? <laughs> who is that? Mr. Mr. O'Reilly or something? <laughs> no, I've no idea who that person is, but they right. are following them. Good. Lovely. Well, I think what we should do is we should, when we have our break, we'll have our coffee break, and we should post a picture to their thing of us recording yes. and see what happens. Yes. Yes. Watch this space, ladies and gentlemen. It could have amusing results. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean that just goes to show you know, that they're trying. They're trying. All these airlines are trying to use as many yeah. social media yeah. sites as they can: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But people I mean, are using them all the time. Mm, I mean, it, yeah. you know, the media in general is sort of driving the the, the push for, for for social media. Well, really. I have to say that they are good for complaining, especially Twitter. Yes. I had an yeah. issue this week. Yeah, I, I forgot to tell you. Actually, yeah, yeah. I had an issue this week with a well-known bank in the UK here. Mm-hmm. Barclays Bank. Oh, oh dear. Hello. Um, what, what? And uh, <laughs> and uh, I I had an issue with, with my account. That, yeah. Um, they, they'd charge me for for nothing. <gasps> um, put an additional charge for for no reason. Why are you surprised? That's what banks do. So rather than phone okay. them, right, on their number that costs a million pounds to call. Per second. Yes. I uh, sent them a message on Twitter. Yeah. And tweeted, and within at least two minutes, yeah. they had replied. Really. Phoned me back. Good lord. And taken the yeah. charge off. <laughs> really, that's fantastic. Yes. I had a similar experience with TalkTalk. Talk. This was my broadband uh, provider, and um, I'd had a similar problem where um, it kept dropping the line every few seconds. And I'd had I'd had numerous engineers come out. Uh, nobody managed to solve it, and uh, I, I got so fed up with it. This was actually on Facebook that I posted this, not Twitter, and uh, just posted to their TalkTalk Talk page. Well, I've never had a response like it. And there was another engineer here the following morning, despite having earlier in that same 
that same two days later been told it would be three weeks before another engineer could come out again i had one here the, the monday morning and this particular engineer whether he was senior or what i don't know mm. but actually solved the problem and they, you know i think i think airlines are going to be no different oh, yeah. they, they've, they've got to use people do now yeah and um, we read stories on the internet all the time where mm. people where passengers who are not happy with the service they've got yeah have sent tweets mm. to um to these airlines mm. and they do tend to get a yeah. result yeah. from it but we're, we'll be coming back to Ryanair uh, in one more story's time actually uh, which is a slightly mm-hmm. worrying story but uh, and again it's using a similar sort of service but uh, in the meantime so mail online this one this story is on and Qatar Airways named the world's most reliable airline for punctuality and its modern fleet while BA and uh, falls behind Gulf and Asian carriers Qatar Airways has been named the most reliable airline in the world thanks to uh, flight punctuality, its modern fleet, and the minimal extra fees it charges. And not only did the airline come out on top, it scored a perfect 100 in the research by travel site Wonderbat, which ranked the top 22 airlines around the world. Followed closely by Emirates and China Eastern, the top three airlines showed how the Gulf and Asia are dominating the travel market. In a turn, British Airways ranked in eighth place as as the only UK airline to make the list. Mm. Uh, America fared even worse with one airline making it into 17th place, which was Southwest Airlines. (laughs) Um, Wonderbat has looked at several different factors in order to form a smart rating and rank the top international airlines. Uh, looking at on-time performance, checked baggage costs, the number of bags you get to check in for free, as well as the cost of checking additional bags in and the average age of the fleets. If any two airlines tied, they were then ranked according to the percentage of on-flight uh, times. While British Airways uh, only took eighth place, it still boasted a score of 91 out of 100, coming behind Singapore Airlines, China Southern, Ethiopian and Air China. The top 10 was rounded out with Saudi, Cathay Pacific and Latin American airline LAN. BA was the only European airline to make it onto the list except for Air Berlin, which took 22nd place. Despite its problems last year with the downing of flight MH17 and the disappearance of flight MH370, Malaysian Airlines took 16th place in the table just behind Etihad and beating Southwest Airlines. Um, I feel a bit sorry for Malaysian Airways, actually, because I think, um, although nothing concrete has ever been firmed up about these these plane incidences, you know, in both occasions it's not really been an issue with regard to reliability from what we understand you know, both both acts were deliberate. If you see what I mean, it's uh, mm, there's no oh, the jury's still out on. I think is on, it? on yeah. both of those. Okay. Yeah, I'm being controversial. But you've got the I? um the, the the table in front of the <laughs> yeah. air mat. Mm-hmm. You've got the table of the uh, top twenty two. Yes, yes. Obviously, like we said, with Qatar being at number one. Yeah, and uh, Air Berlin being at number twenty two. Mm. Um, some of the other noticeable one, or notable ones for our Australian listeners, uh, Qantas came in at number eighteen. Uh, they got eighty-seven points out of a hundred. Right. Um, also, uh, Singapore Airlines, like I said, coming fourth with ninety-six. Uh, Russian airline Aeroflot. Yeah. Uh, we're in at uh, number nineteen. They got eighty out of a hundred. Yeah. Um, but it's quite surprising to see Southwest Airlines at number seventeen with only mm. eighty-four because Southwest are 
are supposed to be quite a really good airline mm. um, for for customer, especially for yeah. customer relations. I, I think, stuff. in fairness to British Airways on this, I mean they're eighth in the table. I mean the air the airlines that are ahead of them are much much bigger. Mm. Um, maybe not Ethiopian Airlines so much, but um, you know certainly China Eastern and Qatar and Emirates. I mean they're much much bigger mm. chains, aren't they? Yeah. they? They've got larger fleets and and things like that. I, I I'd hope that they'd. Uh, you know, I've flown with flown with Qatar Airways before mm. a few a few years back. Yeah, um, and Emirates. Yeah, I have to say, I think um, Emirates was definitely my favourite. Yeah, have those two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet. We've got we've, we've got, got a visitor. Uh, yes. We've got a visitor on the uh, on the studio table here. We've got uh, Matt's Matt's the, the cat. cat. Yes, cat absolutely. has decided to uh, to but join us. She's Matt's in the way. Is, yeah, I'm going to take a photo. We'll Matt's going to take a photo of um, <laughs> of of, of uh, Mima. Yes, bless. There she is, bless her. Yes, say good morning. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. We'll we'll post that to the Facebook page just yeah. to show that we're not um, no not lying here. No, don't, no, no. Don't we walk are, on a keyboard. We are, we are not a, a, alone here. So apologies if you hear squeaks and goodness knows what else during it. Oh dear, never mind. Anyway, right. uh, on to the next, next story, um, and it is uh, Ryanair one. We we touched on it very very briefly just now. Very worrying headline, I think. Uh, I don't know. You you kind of think the, these people are slightly above, don't you? Um, given what they do for for a living, but this is in the Exar- Irish Examiner, and it is Ryanair steward steals passengers' camera. Victim catches him on catches him on eBay. A Ryanair steward who found a passenger's camera on a flight uh, has been fined and given 100 hours of community service after he was tracked down by his victim on eBay. Um, Ryanair have also sacked Fernando Miguel, uh, uh, who was 34, uh, who had pinched a £499 Nikon camera after it was left on a seat of a plane that landed at Prague. The victim, 23-year-old teacher Aaron Galloway, was at the airport at the start of his three-day break when he discovered he'd forgotten his camera. Ground crew phoned the flight attendants within minutes, but cabin crew said that there was no sign of it. But when he got home after his break, Aaron went on eBay for a replacement but saw that his camera was for sale within, with just 33 minutes left on the auction. Uh, Aaron, a primary school teacher, messaged the seller to say that he wanted it back. Aaron said it was a three-day auction starting the same day I lost my camera and the item location was Stansted. I knew it was mine because the description with the strap lens and the battery and the memory card were all mine. Uh, He then posted uh, a message uh, on eBay, which I'll just read you, and it says, I'm assuming that you work for Ryanair as the cabin gets uh, checked after the flight and your location is stanced, so it's up to you whether it's worth your job or not. The camera can be easily traced. Its serial number is registered to my name with Nikon. I also have receipts and proof of purchase. You You were right. It is only a few months old. Uh, so you have a choice. You can lose your job for theft and get prosecuted, or you can give it back to me. I'm the one with the blonde curly hair from Christmas uh, and the graduation pictures, etc. I'll tell the police there must have been a mistake and it turned up in Prague. Up to you, buddy. I will meet you in the Stansted terminal. Heck, I'll even give you £50, providing everything's okay with it. You're £50 richer and I, and you'll still have your job. We go our separate ways and it's never mentioned again. Those photos are really important to me. One person in particular isn't with us anymore and I might be able to restore the memory card. Uh, Aaron said, when I saw it on eBay, I couldn't believe it. I was angry with Ryanair, to be honest. How can they not notice someone just taking things off seats? 
He'd, he had deleted everything from the camera, photos of Christmas of a family member who'd passed away and my graduation, all wiped. He admitted he worked for Ryanair and that he had taken my camera. I was pretty surprised because actually he couldn't have ignored me and there was nothing I could have done, but he said he was really sorry. The Portuguese-born Visu begged Aaron not to tell the police and said he would lose his jobs. It's um, It's sort of quite sad, really. Um, there's another bit here. My apologies for this. I'll obviously return the camera to you. Uh, please tell me when, where and when to meet you in the terminal. Of course, the job is very important to me. I'll meet you at the terminal wherever you want to. I found the camera at the end of the day and I'll return it to you, of course. Please, I have a daughter. She's only three years old. That's why I did this. Please, please, please don't report me. Hmm. Then don't steal the camera. Yeah. I mean, it's... They're not on bad money, are they? Let's well... be honest. <laughs> well, the, the, well, they're not on fantastic money, no, but know, then, but it's more than know, I am. I'm on as a bus driver. Let's put it that yeah. way, and I can make ends. It's 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 sad. It's sad. Really sad story. I mean, mm. you know, this per, this this uh, particular chap was obviously you know you need the money, mm. but then you know do you do you either need money quick like that, or mm. would you rather have a job? Mm. You know, Interesting to say. Actually, just reading the final paragraph here, it says, however, after the victim checked uh, Visu's eBay profile and found he'd sold 118 items in the past few months. He showed it to officers who raided his home near Sanderson and found the camera. Mm. So it's obviously it's not just a one-off incident, is it? It suggests he's been doing it for a while. Yeah, very sad, very, very sad, sad indeed. So moving on mm. to uh, the ETN Global Travel Industry News site, and uh, Emirates responds to passenger demand for more flights to Gatwick Airport. Uh, I mean, this is a route that I knew was busy anyway, mm. but uh, Dubai. Um, carrier Emirates due to passenger demand have launched a second daily A380 service to London Gatwick Airport. Hubert Frack, Emirates uh, Divisional Senior Vice President Commercial Operations West, commented uh, we are constantly seeking ways to enhance our service to meet our passengers expectations. Demand for the A380 has prompted us to introduce a second daily A380 service to London Gatwick months ahead of schedule. This strengthens our bid to provide both holidaymakers and business travellers with a world-class travel experience, whilst ensuring better seat availability from one of the busiest airports in the UK. The airline made a decision to immediately upgrade its EK15 and EK16 route that was previously uh, operated by a Boeing uh, 777, as the demand was there. The A380 will add a total of 318 seats uh, per day, um, increasing capacity in all three classes by 11.5%. Over 330,000 customers have already been flown with the A380 to and from London Gatwick since the aircraft was first deployed in March 2014. The introduction of a second daily Emirates A380 to London Gatwick is expected to help to facilitate increased trade from key destinations in West Asia, Australia, Africa, the Middle East and Far East. Leisure travellers will also benefit from the additional capacity which has uh, been introduced well in time for the UK summer. Do we get one? <laughs> What's one of those? <laughs> uh, London Gatwick Airport... Offers... We've had it. It was the three days ago last week. <laughs> London Gatwick Airport offers excellent connections to the southeast and central London. In fact, the uh, with the Gatwick Express, travellers can conveniently reach London Victoria Station in only 30 minutes. Emirates flight EK15 will depart Dubai International Airport at 0800 hours and arrive in London Gatwick at 12.30 hours. 
The outbound flight EK16 will depart London Gatwick Airport at 14.25 hours and arrive in Dubai at 0025 hours. Mm. So it just goes to show that, you know, they've obviously got the, the, the passenger numbers to, to throw a, a second A380 service on. Yeah, well, I mean, and upgrading it from a 777 in the first place is, mm. you know, so it's, it's obviously there is the enter, the interest is there, isn't it? But every time we've flown with Emirates, out of uh, Gatwick to, to Dubai, the plane's always been full. Mm, I bet. Always yeah. been full, every time. Next story is uh, on a website called Engadget UK, and the headline is EasyJet's iOS app is now your personal guide to Gatwick. I left this story especially for I, you, well, yes, I know you love your apps. I do love my tech, don't I? Yeah, EasyJet already has a mobile app that many airline peers would do well to take inspiration from. Beyond storing electronic boarding passes, the app lets you manage bookings, track flights, and even check in using a photo of your passport. How cool is that? The low-cost, tech-savvy airline has made its app that much better today, though, with a new feature that will guide you through every step of a journey from London's Gatwick Airport. Prior to departure, the app will prompt you to check in and remind you of your baggage allowance, but the so-called mobile host really kicks in when you get to Gatwick. Once, once it sees you've arrived, a push notification will tell you where to dump your bag and direct you there using floor maps courtesy of Google. If you're just taking on carry-on, then it will point you towards the departures area instead. And once through security, you needn't keep your eyes glued to the information screens since it will let you know when your gate opens and how to get there. And when you're back from your trip, sunburnt and rested, mobile host will pipe up again and tell you what baggage carousel you need to head to. This new functionality is now live within EasyJet's iOS app, but the airline said there are no current plans to bring the feature to Android. Well, that's very silly. Why would they not do that? Anyway, there's a good chance that, that it'll expand beyond London Gatwick. However, with EasyJet saying, we are looking forward to uh, uh, at this for numerous other airports across our European network. It's a great idea. I'm, why are they not mm. bringing it to Android as well? I mean, there are more Android users than there are iOS, uh, iOS I know. officially. Why on earth are they excluding one of the largest platforms um, known to mankind, but I found that with a lot of apps. So that that um, that I use, hmm. uh, you know, I can have them on my iPod on your touch, iPod, yeah. Um, but I can't get them on my Android phone. Yeah. I mean, it was all right for you. I mean, not, you know, in the fact that you have at least got an iPod. I mean, I'd be stuffed. I couldn't use that functionality because I only have sort of. Well, I've got an Apple laptop, but that that's where my involvement with Apple ends. So. It's a shame that, uh, come on, come on, EasyJet, you need to pull your finger out. You need to make it available for using the same protocols. It's just a, just just needs the, the front end needs rewriting, that's all. Mm. I'll get you to do that then. Mm, yeah, a little bit out of my uh, comfort zone there, <laughs> I have to, have to be honest. Uh, <laughs> moving on, the next story yes. is Flight Global. Yep. And Embraer, Devil- uh, Embraer delivers 20 E175s in the first quarter. What's an E175? I'm sure you'll be able to okay, find that right. out. Okay. So Embraer delivered uh, 20 E-175 regional jets in the first three months of 2014. The company announced on the 16th of April this year. The 75-seat class E-175 was the only version of Embraer's four regional jet designs now in production to be delivered to a customer in the first quarter. The 20 deliveries were slightly outpaced by two new or two orders for a combined 22 e-jets signed during the first quarter. As a result, Embraer's backlog increased by two aircraft to 454 aircraft compared uh, to the end of 2014. 
That uh, number includes firm orders for 210 E-Jets, E-2 aircraft, which introduced new wings and the Pratt & Whitney PW1700 1900G geared turbofan engines. Embraer plans to continue delivering E-Jets at a rate of 90 to 95 per year, or roughly eight per month through the transition to the E-Jet E-2 family that begins in 2018. Embraer also delivered 12 business jets in the first quarter, including 10 light Phenom series jets and the two Legacy uh, 500 aircraft. Mm-hmm. Now, Embraer is quite, uh, getting quite a popular um, short, uh, you know, um, small regional jet yeah. aircraft that's being used by quite a lot of airlines now. Yeah, I like- flew on a 175 actually um, last year mm-hmm. in, in Oman yeah. um, with Oman Air. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's quite a you know a, a compact tiny little um aircraft it's almost um it's almost like a, a kind of sort of a, a a slightly large business jet kind right, of looking yeah. thing but um yeah but a so, lot of airlines are using them so uh initially produced uh in 2001 right up to and including now um it's uh it's main um where are we we've got uh, first flight was february the 19th 2002 mm. um primary users republic airways uh, JetBlue airways air canada and compass airlines currently um several variants it's, it's actually got the wingtips which is nice yeah to yeah see. no yeah, one with the wingtips yeah. yeah absolutely yeah nice looking plane actually nice looking plane it's the Embraer e-jet Family is a series of narrow-bodied, medium-range, twin-engine jet airliners produced by Brazilian aerospace conglomerate Embraer, launched at the Paris Air Show in 1999 and entering production in 2002. The aircraft series has been a commercial success. Yeah. Oh, there we are. Nice, a nice-looking plane. Yes, it doesn't scream are. at you that it's a, that it's a smaller sort of craft if you know it's like i said it's a regional jet which a lot of airlines use for short hops Mm, and obviously they have uh, quite a good ability to land at uh, airfields that have uh, short short runways runways, yeah yeah yeah. absolutely i bet so next story another another good one for you oh here we go yeah oh yeah oh i say this looks good this is uh, flight global again and uh, the headline is interiors panasonic outlines wi-fi ambitions panasonic avionics expects to install its in-flight connectivity systems in nearly twelve thousand narrow bodies over the next 10 years That forecast compares with just 700 aircraft in service today with Panasonic Systems, says Executive Director of Sales and Marketing Neil James, who claims a market share of nearly half. That's an insane number, isn't it? Half Mm. the market share. Another 4,000 wide bodies will be fitted out by Panasonic, he says, adding that the biggest challenge will lie in developing the installation and support capacity to match sales growth. Panasonic disclosed an aircraft interiors uh, at Aircraft Interiors, sorry, that China Southern Airlines will launch uh, will be the launch customer for the EXO system in 54 Abus A320s and A321s being de- being delivered from early 2016. The carrier holds another 50 options to cover fleet expansion. James sees the deal as a significant move in China, where business and first class flyers are eager um, are eager early adopters of the new technology. Separately, um, is it? How do I pronounce that? Zemen. Zemen. Yemen. Yemen. Oh, my apologies. Separately, Yemen Airlines has selected Panasonic's in-flight Wi-Fi service and EX3 entertainment system for six Boeing 787-8. Meanwhile, Panasonic is building an array of onboard and mobile technologies intended to help aircrafts create what James calls a seamless customer experience. 
For business and first class travellers, he says the goal is to bring the aircraft experience into the lounge and the lounge experience into the aircraft. It's it's clearly the way everything's going, isn't I'll it? I tell you, I've, I'm just looking on Panasonic's um, their their website, their website mm-hmm. for their in-flight computer systems yeah. and stuff. Not only do they do the um, IFE for passengers, yep. Yep. they also do the cabin management system computers. Really, the ones that are at the mm. at the very front of the aircraft, near where you walk in through yeah, the yeah. front door. Yeah. There's normally a little computer screen yes. on the near yeah, yeah. aircraft where they do the, the temperature controls, yes. and lighting, and, and yeah. they they produce the systems for that. So you can obviously adjust your lighting in the cabin cool. uh, mm. for boarding and departing, mm. and you can turn lights on and off independently, and you can adjust obviously the heating as you just said. Um, and all different bits and pieces you can control from this one computer. I have front. I have seen it in action actually. One of the Easy EasyJet crafts, um, one of their newer airlines. When we went to, uh, can't remember. I think it was. Um, I think it might have been Malta we flew to actually, and that was that was with EasyJet. And uh, yeah, as I say, and it was very strange because the guy wasn't pressing any buttons. He just sort of tapped the screen and he did this and he did that. Mm. It was, uh, they also they also de- uh, also still develop. Mm. Uh, Matt, the you know the old school entertainment you used to get in the aircraft with yep. the flip with the drop down monitors. Yes, yeah. You you, you did you in the in the olden days. <laughs> <laughs> you you used to you didn't used to have uh, an independent screen each. No, but you used to have a drop down screen yep. from this. But they all they still develop um, these particular drop down um, high definition monitors, mm. fifteen and a half inch yeah. monitors for um, for for narrow bodied aircraft. Yeah, they, they well they're also quite common in in the coaching industry as well. Yes, those particular um, yes. those particular things because we we haven't really sort of delved into. I think it's just because the power requirements required to be able to to power so many multiple screens. Yeah. Um. So you tend to just have two or three built into the coach. We're not quite at the stage where you can pick your own viewing experience. God, that'd be good. Yeah. So moving That's my on. next project then. I know. It. Yes. Okay. He, he, Matt's, only, Matt's got on the demand. only pimped out coach in the whole oh, of East Anglia. Yeah, quite right. Yeah, it's got Wi-Fi in a bit. Oh, so <laughs> Flight Global then, next one. Yeah. Uh, used A380 market, a chance to explore the type's value. Ah. So Emirates President Tim Clark believes the second-hand market for the Airbus A380 will be a good opportunity for carriers to explore the economic uh, capabilities of the jet. The Middle Eastern carrier took its first A380 in 2008, and the carrier typically retains aircraft for around 12 years. Clark, speaking at an event in London, said, It's clear to me that there are carriers interested in A380s that can't afford one. He believes the second-hand market for the type will be fairly strong, especially as passenger demand increases uh, with a recovering global economy. Clark says that used A380s present a very good value proposition for customers who want to uh, come in at a slightly lower price. Emirates is fitting 50 A380s still on order with Rolls-Royce Trent 900 engines. Some of these aircraft, says uh, Clark, will serve as replacements for part of the Dubai-based airline's current A380 fleet. I mean, this is, that's a, that'd be amazing if they, you know, you don't generally tend to see mm. that many A380s being retired yet. No, 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 no. But as the story says, you know, there will come mm. a time when they start to retire the older A380s mm. and then they'll be snapped up by, I mean, by by any airline really who's well, and, and they're insanely well maintained aren't they yeah. so i mean as as long as it's passing its structural, structural integrity test 
um, you know, we're to making sure that, you know, the, the, the seals aren't going and things like that, then, that, I mean... It, it's Wouldn't it be amazing you know, to see some of the uh, the smaller sort of carriers in the yeah, world flying, yeah. a, you know, yeah. not saying that they will, but, you know, yeah. a Ryanair Airbus mm. A380 or, mm. uh, you know, or an EasyJet Airbus A380. Well, well, this is it's, it's inevitable, I think, really, isn't it? Mm. You know, Imagine the passengers that we go, oh, blimey. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, yeah. what, I wonder if, if uh, O'Leary would uh, cram as the most amount of seats he could do into the 380 at a sort of 500. I, I I think given the story that we covered last yeah. week where, where both him and EasyJet were planning to do exactly the, that, well, I'm not, I'm not surprised really. Or do as he said before and, and remove all the seats completely. Just, just have standing, and just make them stand. standing room yeah, only. Yeah. Yeah. Work for me. <laughs> yeah. Might do your knees in on landing possibly. I don't know. It's, uh, it's the impact really. Yes. No. Okay. So next story then. Um, <laughs> are you a, are you a Star Wars fan? Like you wouldn't believe. And I went to the cinema. I went to the cinema this week um, to go and see the Fast and the Furious Seven, and there was a an actual trailer. exclusive trailer <gasps> that they have since just released the on the Star old Wars internet film. for the new Star Wars film. And I must admit, my friend Sam looked at me like I completely lost the plot as I I, I went into five year old boy mode as I saw mm. uh, just the minute you hear that sort. Of <sighs> And you just think that's amazing, <laughs> yes. But uh, yes, yes, I did. You know, so I've saved this story special. Have you? Oh, this is good. Here we are. Right. So this is Flight Glo. I haven't read this one, so this could be fun. Uh, oh wow! Uh, Flight Go Global is the website, and the pictures. It is the ANA. Carl is now. I can see him tapping away. He's now going to post this on the old. Oh, Facebook. it's on. It's on. Oh, it's already yeah, on there we, already. We posted it? on our. Facebook oh, did page, you? Yeah. Yes, yes. The pictures. ANA reveals Star Wars livery on the Boeing seven eight seven nine. All Nippon Airlines, ANA, have unveiled a new Star Wars livery on its latest Boeing 787-9 that marks the start of a five-year tie-up with the Walt Disney Company in Japan. The painted with the new with the iconic R2D2 character, the plane's design has unveiled was unveiled to fans of the popular science fiction franchise in the United States on the 16th of April. ANA says that the Star Wars painted aircraft will take to the skies in the third quarter of 2015, but that its routes will operate the routes it'll operate on have not yet been determined. I would be so excited if that was the plane. <laughs> that I went out on. We're proud uh, We're proud of the innovative R2-D2 design and we look forward to witnessing the first ever flight of a passenger aircraft featuring a Star Wars character. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I've, I, it's the wine, I think. That's what it is. We're confident that <laughs> Star Wars fans around the world will absolutely love this design, says Kayleen Waters, Vice President of Marketing at Lucasfilm Limited. Um, the launch of the Star Wars livery also follows ANA's earlier announcement that it will launch a Tokyo Narata to Houston service from the 12th of June, making it the carrier's 10th North American destination. It does look pretty stunning, it has to be said. Yes, they, they, they've got to change the in-flight messaging system to include our Star Wars characters as well. That that surely is a an obvious addition so anyway now the next story is actually you've got some insider information from a story we covered last last week yeah. haven't you yeah yeah um if for those of you who remember from last week's episode mm. 56 we covered the story on the virgin atlantic uh, 747 400 that got delayed at uh, McCann yeah, yeah, yeah. airport in las vegas mm. Uh, just so happens that I actually work with one of the guys uh, who was on that uh, flight with his wife. Ah, and uh, had a chat with him early this week at work. 
Yeah. Um, he wishes to remain nameless. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but uh, no, I had a chat with him and because um, obviously we know that uh, they got uh, 600 euro. Mm. Um, yeah, which uh, didn't go anywhere each. near to cover the cost of the flight. Uh, and a hotel. They got put up with a hotel. Yeah. Yeah, only for one um, night though. For one night. Which it should have been um, two, really. I think that's uh, our thing, isn't it? If it had been two nights that they put people up in for both nights and not expect them to spend one night in the hotel, this story wouldn't be anywhere near as big as it is now. No, no. It, it just so happens, though, yes. that um, they also, um, as well as that, uh, they got offered, uh, for those of them who are in the, there's a club that Virgin Atlantic have in mm-hmm. the Premium Economy Club, right. I think it's called. Uh, they, they got air miles. Oh, okay. Uh, they got 14,500 air miles. Oh, well, that's quite enough for a holiday then, yep. more or less. Yeah. And uh, when, uh, when they boarded the flight uh, after it had been, Delayed. Re- delayed yeah. the second day. Um, passengers, because a lot of the passengers who were due to fly on that flight had just jumped ship and gone. They'd right. gone and made okay. their own arrangements and gone yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. The aircraft was uh, obviously emptier. very much emptier. Yeah. So the crew decided to close the top half of the aircraft down, the you know the, the upper, upper cabin. Right, uh, where the premium economy seats uh, were, which uh, the, the friend of mine had booked on with his wife. Yeah, uh, when he was uh, asked by the cabin crew, you know, uh, could you? Is there any chance you could, uh, you know, stay downstairs in the economy section? Mm. Um, he obviously he wasn't extremely impressed. No, I can going um, yeah. going from a premium economy where you do get the extra leg room and, yeah. and stuff, um, but uh, for doing it. Um, any person who opted to change their their seat their from the class, uh, yeah. premium economy down to economy, they were all offered a return ticket each uh, to fly anywhere in the world apart from Australia. Right. I must stress that. Okay. So anywhere in the world apart from Australia uh, with Virgin. So um, so obviously they uh, went into economy. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, quite happily. Uh, quite happily, because, yes. I mean, the service in the economy is great anyway, yeah, Virgin. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so they got the €600 Euro, um, uh, cash each, um, euros wow. each, uh, which is about £500 or yeah, yeah. Um They got the return flight anywhere in the world, apart from Australia. And 1,400 um, air miles. 1,500 uh, 1, air miles yeah. each. And, uh, and, yeah, and also they also got given a claim form Right. Uh, to claim back any expenses, i.e. phone right. calls. Oh, okay. Um, so w- for which um, my friend had made around about 35, 40 quid's worth of phone calls. Right. Um, whilst From the wrong end delayed. of the Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's claiming for those back as well. So now th- now this is more what I expect of Virgin Atlantic. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah. the, 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 I, I said last week, I was just genuinely quite surprised when we read that story out, uh, that this is not like Richard Branson to, to be so, you know, it was very out of character. But, of course, that, unfortunately, doesn't appear to have made news. the news, no. which is a it's shame. Just, it's just handy I have people in the Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, and, and well, and in that case, I mean, because things do go wrong. I mean, oh, yeah. you have to yeah. accept it. It's, but it's how you handle, I mean, you know, in the, it's the same in the catering, catering industry when we when we were running a pub, me and mum, I know it's slightly different, but it's, it, things do go wrong. 
what makes the day is how you solve that problem, problem yeah. isn't it? And I think it's the same in in, the, in, in any industry, isn't it? But I think that's great, mm. you know, getting that uh, that offer for just changing a seat. Yeah. All right, it's a few inches and of I, leg room. Yeah, but I dare say, um, you know, they were weighted on hand and foot, I would imagine, oh, yeah. As, yeah. as well and as a real they're, way of, they're booked um, to go back to Vegas again. In fact, well, I don't blame them. Uh, why not? Yes, hoping for a similar and experience. It be, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, the flights have already been already been given to them. Right. And, you know, all they've got to sort out is accommodation. Yeah. Cheap holiday. Yeah, very cheap holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, or you could spend that same kind of money and just have like, you know, <laughs> well, you, could have, you could have some Vegas tokens, as they call oh, them. yes, yes, Go and play yes. some tables. Yeah, not that we're condoning any kind of gambling. Gambling, obviously, no. He's no, no. being a good boy here. Yeah. So on to our uh, final story before we have coffee. Yep. And good news, ladies and gentlemen. It's a top 10. Yay! Yeah, so this is... Flight Global, which is where we get a lot of our top 10s from. And the headline is the Power List Top 10 Delivered Commercial Turbo Fans. With our latest analysis of the commercial engine sector showing how re-engined aircraft from Airbus and Boeing and the arrival of the new types of the Bombardier, Comac, Mitsubishi and Irkut are affecting the size and shape of the marketplace, we list the most popular power plants in civil aviation history with the help of Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database. So, in number 10. So, at number 10... It's God, your favourite, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Oh, yes. I think we'll just stick with number 10. Okay. Maybe, maybe right. we should make that number one. And in, so, in, in, the, in the world well, of Carlos, yeah. this if Carlos had made this top 10, this would be number one without doubt. Yeah. It, but it is number 10. Um, it is, it is at it, least in the list. It's in the list. <laughs> so at number 10 then, uh, the Rolls-Royce RB211 engine. Yes. Uh, which powered the... Lockheed L ten eleven TriStar. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> he's, yes, he's. he's I, I should just warn you. He's gone a funny sort of <laughs> r- rosy shade of happy over there. <laughs> so they've uh, they've in, they've installed uh, engines delivered of these mm. uh, particular type have been. There's been over two thousand eight hundred and thirty two of these Gosh. engines. Um, so it's the Rolls Royce RB211, which was developed in the late 1960s for Lockheed, the L1011 TriStar, and was later an option on the Boeing 747 400, uh, 757s, and 767, as well as a tuple off TU204. A forerunner of the Trent family, the RB211 was the original three spool engine from the UK company. Rolls-Royce went into receivership as the RB211 was being completed, and in 1971, uh, nationalism allowed the program to be completed. Uh, number nine. At number nine, it's the Motor Sitch AI-25. I'm sorry, what? Motor Sitch. <laughs> There's been 2,844 of these produced. Mm. Uh, it's the second Soviet engine on the list, uh, which we've got, uh, which was developed by the Ivenchkov. In the Eventco. Ni- in the 1960s, and powered the Soviet Russia, Soviet <laughs> Russia, and uh, powered the uh, the Akolov Yak 40 regional trijet, with other versions being developed for military trainers. Uh, the roughly uh, 1,000 Yak 40s produced between 1967 and 1981, and operated by Aeroflot and the airlines throughout the communist world, helped the engine reach its impressive total delivery number. So that's the Motor Sitch AI 25 number. Eight. Number eight, it's uh, another famous one. Another Pratt and, it's a Pratt & Whitney uh, PW4000. Uh, there's been 2,846 of these produced. 
launched in 1982 and uh, entering revenue service in 1987, the five versions of the 52,000 to 62,000-pound thrust uh, PW4000 have been powered, oh, they've powered the 747 400, 767777s, and the MD11, as well as the Airbus A300, A310, and A330. The engine entered revenue service in 1987, and Pratt and Whitney delivered the 2500th Pratt and Whitney 4000 in 2008. Number seven. Number seven, it's the Soloviev. Soloviev. D30, installed uh, engines numbering 3,260. The highest placed Russian engine on the list is a two-shaft low-bypass turbofan developed in the late 1960s in different versions to power both commercial and military types. Among civil civil applications, God, what this wine done to me, (laughs) uh, are the Aleutian IL-62M passenger jet and the Aleutian 76 freighter, as well as the popular Tupolev TU-154 narrowbody. Now, I've got to be brutally honest here that the front of that does look exactly like R2-D2. No, that does actually. It does. (laughs) The colour scheme. That is the Aleutian 76. (laughs) Certainly is. Anyway, number six. Number six. Another Another favourite of mine. Another favourite of mine. Flown me on hold him many times. Uh, uh, the Pratt & Whitney JT3D, yeah. uh, number of engines installed, 4,184. Uh, developed in the 1950s, this low-bypass ratio engine was based on the core of the J57 and first flew on the Boeing 707 in 1960. It was later selected by McDonnell Douglas for versions of the DC-8, a military version of the TF-33, powered by several famous types, including the Boeing uh, B-52 Strato Fortress, the JT-3D was produced until 1985. Number five. Another one, General Electric CF-34. Uh, there's been 5,694 of these uh, produced. The CF-34-3 that entered service in 1992 helped power the, the, uh, that decade's regional jet revolution, which continued into this century. Chosen as the engine on the Bombardier CRJ-200, further versions were selected for the CRJ-700 and CRJ-900, and later by Embraer for its E-Jet family. The power plant is also uh, on China's Comac ARJ-21s. Number four. Number four, it's the International Aero Engine V2500. There's been 5,774 of these produced. Uh, International Aero Engines was set up in 1983 as a partnership of Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce, Fiat and Japanese engine makers and MTU to develop an engine for the 150-seater market. The engine powers roughly half of the Airbus A320 family aircraft in service and was recently selected for the uh, Embraer KC390 military transport. IAE is now a majority controlled by Pratt & Whitney. Number three. Number three, it's uh, another General Electric CF6. Uh, There's been 6,241 of these produced. Mm. Uh, Since it entered service in 1971 on the Douglas DC-10, the CF6 family has been certificated for 13 types, including the Boeing 747-400, where it powered what was for some the world's longest non-stop scheduled flight, Qantas service from Dallas to Brisbane. Variants of the engine also are offered on the A330 and the Boeing 767. Number two. 
At number two, another Pratt & Whitney, the JT8D. Another very, very popular old school engine, this one. Mm. There's been 12,049 of these produced. That's literally almost double. Yeah. The these are a really yeah, popular yeah, yeah. engine, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pratt & Whitney introduced the JT8D to commercial this service in 1964 with the first flight of the Boeing 727-100. And eight versions were produced with a thrust range from 14,000 to 17,000 pounds of thrust. Wow. Uh, exclusive on the McDonnell Douglas MD-80, the engine also powered the McDonnell Douglas DC-9 and Aerospatial SE-210 Caravelle. And also the first Boeing 737s, uh, around 2,400 JT-8Ds, are still in use today. And finally, at number one. At number one, then, a really popular engine. This one has flown, not just me, but Matt, mm, in most yeah. of the times we've flown, um, especially uh, on especially on Ryanair. Yeah. And the CFM, International CFM 56, mm. Uh, there's been 22,418 Gosh. of these engines produced so, da- so far. Mm. Uh, the CM56 again, isn't it? Is, mm. uh, is by quite some margin the most successful commercial aircraft engine of all time. Uh, yet the joint venture between the USA's General Electric and France's Snecma had a worryingly slow start in its first decade after being established in 1974. Boeing rescued CFM International's fledgling uh, program in the early 1980s by selecting the CFM 56 for its first repowered 707 and then the three version of the engine for the second generation 737 family. The CFM 56 has been the exclusive engine on Boeing's narrowbodies since then, with its successor being the leap uh, powering the latest 737 Max. That'll be the wine again. <laughs> I've only had one glass. No, I know. Later in the 1980s, rival Airbus selected the CFM 56-5A to compete with the international aero engines V2500 on its new A320s. A version of the Leap will take on the Dash 5A's mantle to uh, vying against Pratt & Whitney's PW1100G on the A320neos. Mm. Four CFM56s also power Airbus's A340s under the joint venture. Both engine manufacturers are responsible for uh, elements of the engine and their own supply chains and costs. CFM56s are assembled both in the US and France. Fantastic. So there we Cracking go. top 10, yeah. 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 Right. Um, Good news, ladies and gentlemen. It's yes. time for coffee. It's time for tea. Indeed. Yes. So we we're uh, going to... Uh, Just have a quick coffee break. a quick coffee break. And, and we're going right to come back. back to you with uh, Pip segment. Yes. And... We've got some military news as military well. Military news as well. And a little bit of aviation um, stuff as well. Yeah. Aviation... Air show um, news. Air show news Yeah, we have well. got some air show news uh, as well. Some feedback to, to deal with also. So yes, we have. Yes, indeed. So we're going to come back to you after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Everyone heard that yeah. then. Well done. Oops. We're back then after a coffee break. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're uh, we're fully uh, fully refreshed now. Mm, yes. Yes. So we've More got uh, we've got a bit of military news then to bring you next. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, six stories this week. Six stories this week. Yeah, we've got uh, some stories. And uh, we're going to bring that to you right now. So if you're ready, Matt. Yes, very much so. Let's go. Okay, our first story in the military section this week, then. It's from Flight Global as per usual, and the headline is Thai completes Turkish F-16 upgrade. The Turkish Air Force has received the last of its 163 Lockheed Martin F-16C-Ds to have been upgraded with the new avionics equipment and an expanded weapons capability. Handed over at the Turkish Aerospace Industries Ankara facility on the 10th of April, Two-seat trainer 890044 was one of the one of 147 block 40/50 variant aircraft modernized by the company. The remaining 16 were updated by the Air Force One's Air Supply and uh, Maintenance Centre Command as part of a deal signed up by the nation's SSM procurement body in August 2009. Flight Global's Milica database. Uh, shows the Turkish Air Force as having a current active inventory of 188 F-16 fighters or F-16 fighters and 57 F-16Ds, uh, the final uh, example to complete the PO-111 upgrade program, was assembled by Tai in 1991 and is powered by a General Electric F-110 100 turbofan engine. Uh, Milikaz lists the Turkish Air Force as having the third largest fleet of F-16s behind the USA and Israel. Tell you what, do you know when these were first um, flown? What, the F-16? The F-16. The F-16 first flew, believe it or not, in January 1974. Yeah, I mean, they've been about a long time. They've been around a long while, but I mean, even looking at the F-16 now... Um, just look at the file picture on here. It looks mm. awesome. Yeah. It looks really, really good. Um, but they're in service with 25, uh, 25 other users around I mean, the world. They're a, popu- they're a popular fighter, aren't they? they, they There's really... been just over 4,500 built really? of those, Gosh. which is phenomenal for that for that particular oh, Very In my very early computering game, computer game days, oh, I remember F- playing yeah. the F-16 yeah. simulator on my old Atari, which is what I used oh, to have. Wow. That was a... I got quite good at flying it at one point. Shame I didn't uh, didn't carry it on, really. <laughs> so next story then on yep. Flight Global. 
U.S. Navy developing early plans for V-22 midlife upgrade. Uh, the U.S. Navy is already drawing up plans for a midlife upgrade of the Bell Boeing V-22 Osprey that could lead to major, uh, major structural and electronic changes for the tilt rotor aircraft over the next decade. The MLU discussions are separate from ongoing effort to consider the alternatives to the Rolls-Royce A1107C Liberty engine for the V-2 fleet, says uh, Colonel Dan Robinsons. V22 program manager for the U.S. Naval Air Systems Command. Instead, the MLU will begin as the first V22s reach about 5,000 flight hours sometime in the next decade. The highest time aircraft, a U.S. Air Force CV-22, is already beyond the 3,000 flight hour mark, Robinson says. It may be a complete structural change of the wing and the nacelles, Robinson says. Robinson also describes the potential electrical and wiring improvements along with normal replacements for obsolete components or materials. It is a part of a host of future upgrades coming for the V-22 fleet, boosted by a recent US Navy decision that combined with foreign orders should be extended uh, weld production beyond well uh, over the 2020 uh, year mark, Mm. which is great. The U.S. Navy announced in January that the new uh, new version of the V-22 will replace the Northrop C-2 Greyhound as the carrier onboard delivery fleet. That decision means that the United States Navy will buy at least 48 V-22s after the current multi-year production deal expires at the end of the fiscal 2017. A third multi-year deal will include orders by the Navy, Marines and the Japanese military, which has purchased five of, uh, five of 17 V-22s in its acquisition plan. Robinson says he's optimistic about signing a deal with Israel for vi- uh, six V-22s in the near future. And that contract was nearly signed last December, but was put on hold as the Israel government entered a election cycle. Meanwhile, the US Navy is continuing to consider engine alternatives as the program begins negotiations over the third multi-year procurement deal, Robinson says. US Marines have previously considered selecting the GE Aviation GE-38 engine, allowing the fleet to consolidate to a common engine share between the Sikorsky CH-53K and the V-22 Osprey. It's just prudent to look at what engines are out there, Robinson says. I have to be honest, I'm surprised we don't see more engine shares over different sort of chassis for want of a better word. I think it's just redesigning the the cells that the engines sit in. Yeah. Different size engines, different size nacelles. Yeah. I mean, you quite often get Rolls Royce make one engine that fits several aircraft. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And CFMs the same, mm. and the Pratt and Whitney's. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I can't wait. I, I sincerely hope that they have one of these at, um, at React this year, yeah. mm. the Osprey, because mm. um, you're in for a treat if you see yeah. one of these no, up close. I look forward to being like a kid in a sweet shop. I oh think yes, is the best way to describe it. Next story: uh, Flight Global again, and the headline is Augusta Westland Bristow offer AW119 to replace US Navy TH57 fleet. Augusta Westland and Bristow helicopters have teamed up with two other suppliers to replace the US Navy's fleet of 117 Bell Helicopter 206B3 basic trainers with an upgraded version of the AW119 aircraft on a fee-for-service contract. Since August 2013, the USN, the or the US Navy, 
has been evaluating options for replacing the TH-57 Sea Ranger fleet uh, that entered service 47 years ago. Bell stopped building the 206 B-3 in 2010, leaving the Navy, Navy um, to confront uh, a long list of obsolete obsolete issues as the fleet ages. Uh, the Augusta Westland Bristow-led team, along with Rockwell Collins Simulators and DOS Aviation's training services, is offering to introduce the 80-85 AW119s over a four-year period for a cost no greater than the Navy is already spending to operate the ageing TH-57s. The response from naval officials has all been very positive, says Augusta Westland North America Chief Executive Robert LaBelle. It's something different, so it takes a little while to digest and understand. The proposal includes a plan to upgrade the single-engined AW119 with avionics and wiring eligible for instrument flight rules, IFR, certification, LaBelle says. As a single-engined variant of the twin-engined A109, the AW119 already is equipped with the dual hydraulic systems needed to meet IFR's certification, uh, LaBelle has said. The IFR-certificated AW119 also generates additional sales in the commercial market, LaBelle says. Augusta Westland assembles the AW119 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The AW119 offer would most likely face competition from Airbus helicopters, the LUH-72 Lakota, a derivative of the twin-engined H-145, is already selected by the US Army to replace a similar fleet of 180 Bell 206 trainers, which the Army has designated as the TH-67. Airbus also is offering the light twin-engined H-135 and the single-engined H-125 under a conventional procurement arrangement. So just uh, on those two helicopters then, Matt, you've got mm. the Bell 206, yep. uh, which is there looking at replacing there. Yeah. Uh, that first flew uh, in 1962, in December 1962. Yeah. Um, there's been, just to give you an idea, it, it, between the two aircraft, mm. the Bell 206, as, as I just said, flew in 1962, has been 7,300 of those produced. Mm, a popular craft. The AW119, which is what they're replacing yep. it with, first flew in 1995 right. in February. Yeah. And so far there's been uh, 200 of those, just over 200 of those produced. Mind you, uh, if, they can, if they can get it to last as long as they have done, you know, with the previous um, craft, the AW119, then they're, they, you know, they're, they're But the New York Police Department actually used mm. the AW119. Uh, but imagine. the Bell 206 mm-hmm. is uh, called. It's got two designations: a Jet Ranger and a yeah. Long Ranger. Okay, um, it's one of those helicopters that you would have always seen in those American uh, programs, like uh, the Fall Guy. Oh and, yeah, uh, and yeah, the, yeah. You know those yeah. the, the ones the, that you the classic like, dome. The classic dome. Do- yeah, yeah. 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 It's uh, it's one of those helicopters nice. uh, that you see yeah. it on there. Which, so it's a yeah, quite agile then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm. just go to show now. It's been flying since mm. 1962. Yeah. It's still being used. Absolutely. So next story mm-hmm. uh, on the intelligent aerospace, and this one is the Air Force, um, which is the U.S. Air Force, mm-hmm. is to convert 25 F-16 jet fighters to target drones uh, in a $28.5 million Boeing contract. So Eglin Air Force Base uh, has uh, the avionics experts there. 
at the Boeing company will convert 25 retired U.S. Air Force Lockheed Martin F-16 jet fighters into sophisticated manned and unmanned target drones under the terms of a $28.5 million contract. Officials of the Air Force Life Cycle Management Center at Eglin Air Force Base are asking experts at the Boeing Defense Space and Security uh, segment in St. Louis to handle the conversion of 25 F-16 fighters into QF-16 full-scale aerial uh, targets. The Air Force has used converted fighter jets as target drones for decades, beginning in the 1960s when the Air Force converted 24 Lockheed F-104 Starfighter jets into target drones. Other U.S. jets, including the F-100, the F-102, the F-106 and F-4, have become target drones, and U.S. Air Force experts use converted jet fighters as target drones to test sophisticated missile and electronic warfare systems. Although some of these retired fighter jets' uh, target drones are destroyed during the weapons tests, often the drones rely on onboard sensors to calculate the point of missile detonations to record kills without destroying the target aircraft. Friday's order represents uh, lot three of the Air Force's planned QF-16 target drone buy. These aircraft are replacing the Air Force's fleet of QF-4 target drones, which are converted McDonnell Douglas F-4 Phantom jets, which were phased out of active service in the 1980s. The newer QF-16s are bringing a new level of sophistication to the US supersonic target drone capability, and the F-16 is a fourth-generation fighter and brings new challenges for weapons testing over the third-generation F-4. Boeing started converting the first F-16s into QF-16 drones in 2010. Company experts stripped down retired F-16 fighters to remove unnecessary parts like the jet's 20-millimeter cannon and APG-6668 radar, and Boeing alters the aircraft to fly unmanned or with human pilots. Boeing also installs a flight termination system that can destroy the drone if it goes out of control command telemetry systems, so the drone can be controlled from the ground. After scoring a system hit, uh, the gauge of the air accuracy from air-to-air missiles fired at a drone, as well as the avionics uh, packages, to enable these planes to fly unmanned. This lot 3 F-16 conversion will bring the QF-16 fleet to 76 aircraft. Air Force's leaders are expected to buy a total of 120 QF-16 target drones through to 2019. Optionally, uh, Air Force leaders are considering buying a total of uh, 2,010 QF-16s through to 2022. The fleet should last until 2025. The first manned QF-16 flight was in May 2012 and the plane's first unmanned flight was in September 2013. On Friday's contract, Boeing will do the work at Cecil Field, a former US naval air station near Jacksonville, and should be finished by October 2017. It's actually, I'll make sure you post this, I I was watching this video earlier, uh, and it's actually giving you a demonstration of of the the Boeing QF sixteen actually in in action. Um, so we'll make sure we post that into in onto the Facebook feed actually because it is worth a watch. It's a, it's a fascinating demonstration. It's amazing though that you know that they, they this I mean a target drone you expect to be some tiny little mm. drone yeah. type aircraft mm. unmanned aircraft, 
flying along with mm. fighter jets chasing after yeah, or, yeah. or missiles. But they're actually this. You know, this is a full size and yeah. actual yeah. X. You know, used F sixteen fighter mm. jet, which they're that's radio controlled. That, that, yeah, essentially. Yeah, 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 it's fantastic. It's a, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. It is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Uh, next story: UK may not oppose Gripen sale to Argentina, uh, says the Brazilian minister. The UK government is unlikely to block any request by Argentina to buy Saab Gripen NG fighters. Brazilian Defence Minister Jack Wagner has uh, told reporters on the 15th of April. The statement at the Latin American Aviation and Defence Exhibition comes nearly six months after Argentinian Defence Minister Augustin Rossi expressed interest in Brazilian assembled Gripen NGs despite uh, a need to import key technologies such as the ejection seat and the radar from historic rival in the UK. So far there has been little uh, there has been little or no official request by Argentina to import British technologies for either the Gripen NGs or the Embraer KC390s. Uh, Lieutenant Ge- Lieutenant General Jose Capraldi, uh, head of Brazilian Air Force acquisition programs. Argentina is one of three international uh, industrial partners in Embraer's KC390 tactical support transport. Uh, several KC390 systems are applied by British or British-controlled firms such as BAE systems, flight control computers and active side stick controllers, ultra-electronics, electronic controls and sensors as well as Cobham's fuel tanks, in-flight refueling equipment and composite material nose randomes. Wagner mentioned that to overcome any obstacles, Embraer might have to substitute these blocked components by other international suppliers. Uh, Wagner did not elaborate on whether Brazil or Argentina would be required to pay for such redesign and recertification of the KC390 or the Gripen NG. According to Wagner, the full resolution of restrictive export policies will only be possible once the UK accepts to discuss the issue of the Falkland Islands. Oh, here we go. To discuss the issue of the Falkland Islands sovereignty with Argentina through UN mediated talks. Separately, Wagner also acknowledged that the Brazilian government recently owned Embraer, recently owed Embraer around about two hundred million dollars in unpaid bills for the KC three ninety development but also about $40 million of that total was paid last week. So it's, I think, safe to say they're a little behind on their bills. Yes, mm. yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, they're, they're on about, because obviously tension with um, Argentina has, yes. has been tested. At, not uh, helped by Top Gear, it has to be no, said. <laughs> not helped by Top Gear, no. Um, um, but, you know, it just goes to show that they're still, you know, willing to, to trade or, you know, to trade with Argentina, I should yeah. say the UK, yeah. um, with these Saab Gripen jet, these jet mm. fighters. Yeah. Um, Sounds like they very much want it on their terms, though, doesn't it? Don't yes, so. well, we, we do there in the UK, really. Well, yeah, that's true. So the last story then this yeah. week uh, on the Defence Talk site, and uh, this one is Eurofighter showcases uh, offer of indigenous capability for Indonesia. Uh, the world's most versatile and reliable fast jet fighter could be built in Indonesia. It has been reconfirmed this week. If the nation chooses to opt for the Eurofighter Typhoon and the chance to develop its own indigenous capability. As Indonesia plans the replacement of its existing fighter jet fleet, 
Uh, delegates from Eurofighter arrived in Jakarta over the weekend to begin a series of demonstrations aimed at underlying the full scope of the offer from the Four Nation Consortium. Central to the unique offer from Eurofighter is the fact that the country already has a strong and productive relationship with one of its partner companies, Airbus, makers of the wide range of military and commercial products. Joe Parker, export director for Eurofighter, uh, based in Munich, Germany, said we can recognise that Indonesia has an important decision to make and that those decisions will leave a lasting legacy. What we bring to Indonesia is not just reliable protection for the nation, but the opportunity to build and maintain a genuine indigenous capability on the back of a proven partnership and all that goes with it. Parker himself, a private pilot and passionate advocate of the typhoon, added, Rapidly deployable and reliable maritime protection is a fundamental requirement for this nation of the islands and no other aircraft of this type can fly longer, faster and higher than ours when we are fully loaded. Add this to the fact that we would be able to facilitate assembly line capabilities into Bandung, enabling the aircraft to be built here in Indonesia by Indonesians, and it's easy to see why we believe this uh, a major opportunity marking uh, the Indonesian archipelago, a future hub for operations in the southern hemisphere. That's good news for mm. in if they're going to build this, uh, you know, aircraft. Not not only for uh, for obviously for for the uh, Eurofighter typhoon, mm. but obviously for jobs. Yeah, absolutely. In, you know, yeah. in other countries for building well, this uh, aircraft. Uh, what what what's not like not to like about the Eurofighter? I mean, it, it's 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 a, a proven proven oh, beast, yeah. isn't it? In the in the skies. Yeah, so that brings the uh, military segment to a close. We're going to pop back to uh, the, the world of civilian aviation now, and it's time for part three in uh, Pilot Pip's safety briefing. Um, and uh, part three is actually, uh, uh, sorry, part two was all about um, checking the outside of the aircraft. Part three, I'm delighted to say, is a little bit of a walk around the inside of the cabin before he takes off. And now it's time to visit the cockpit. And join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, Pilot Pip here again with another segment live from the aircraft. Now the first one uh, we looked at a day in the life of me, a typical day. And then last week we looked at, well I showed you around a pre-flight inspection of the aircraft. And I thought I'd just finish off this little series of segments then, and I'll run you through live the pre-flight of the inside of the aircraft. So I'm sitting in the cockpit here, and it's nice and quiet. Everything's switched off. I've got no power applied to the aircraft at all at the moment. So I'm just going to run through each system and all the different checks, and you can, you can hear what it is I'm doing. So there's a couple of different ways we can power the aircraft on the ground. We can plug in a GPU or a ground power unit, or we can use the aircraft's own internal power supply, the APU, the auxiliary power unit, which basically what it is, is just a little jet engine back in the tail of the aircraft, and we can fire that up and it will supply a 28 volt DC power to the aircraft, as well as the um, AC systems, a couple of systems on the aircraft are AC, but mostly it's a, a DC aircraft. So I'm going to fire it up, you'll probably hear it uh, whirring up in the background, hopefully it won't be too noisy. And then I'll run through each system one by one. The way I do it, uh, I go through the whole thing, all the systems, all the checks. And then I go back with the checklist and just check off each one to make sure I've not forgotten anything. So as I say, we're here at a cold, dark aircraft. All the screens are off. There's absolutely no power applied to the aircraft whatsoever. So the first thing I'm going to do, just switch on the main battery. We have 
well six main batteries that I've got control of there's a bunch of other batteries as well but at the moment I'm just going to switch on the main battery and I have a, a few dials up on the overhead console and I can see immediately on the main bus bar I've got 24 volts which is what the battery pumps out and I can just cycle through the two bus bars on either side the left and right that's got zero volts the other one's got zero volts which is exactly what I'm looking for otherwise it indicates some sort of uh, short across the bus bars and I can just cycle through and have a look at the other batteries and they should all show me 24 volts so that looks nice 24 volts just before I fire up the APU so a few things just to do before I fire up the APU the APU needs a fuel source so I'm just going to switch one of the uh, fuel pumps to a, uh, on or to an emergency setting which provides pressure I'm going to switch on the navigation lights to show that there's power applied to the aircraft. And I'm just going to have a look around outside the windows to make sure I'm not going to scare anyone as I power this thing up. So behind me, I've got the APU control panel, which has a couple of levers and buttons and things. But it's, it's basically it's a constant speed engine. It'll fire up. I don't have any sort of throttle or anything. It'll just fire up and, and run at a constant speed. So I'm just going to press the APU fire extinguisher test circuit this thing will automatically shut down if there's an overheat or fire so I'm just going to press this and that tests the circuit and then another little test button up here I should see all the lights light up and that lets me know that all the systems and safety systems the circuits are, are working so here we go fire up the APU you can probably hear that just running up in the background So I'm looking for a couple of things as the APU runs up, just making sure that it reaches its uh, running RPM within a, a specified time and that we don't have a hung start. I'm also, my, ho my finger is hovering just above the stop button in case there is a, a fire or something and it doesn't automatically shut down. But it's run up now and the power has connected to the, the bus bar so you can hear everything suddenly fired up. So it's gotten a bit noisier now. So what I'm gonna do, switch that fuel pump off. I'm then gonna close the uh, the bus ties, so I connect the, both the uh, bus ties together and then I'm just going to switch on the inverters for the AC systems. So I switch the first one on and I can see that it's giving me 115 volts. I'm going to switch on the other one, I can see that gives me 115 volts and then I'm going to switch off the first one so I can see that the second one is supplying both sides, which it is. And then I'm going to run through, I'm going to switch on the emergency lights for the evacuation, they're armed. I'm going to switch on something called the ESIS, the electronic standby uh, something or other. Basically that's our emergency standby horizon, which is powered on an independent battery, so that will keep running if we lose all other power. And uh, well, I would normally switch on the radio masters, I'm just going to leave those off for the time being. In fact, no, I'll tell you what, let's switch them on and I'll just turn the speaker off. Okay, so now we've got everything's up and running, so I'm going to go through do a flow through the cockpit, starting on the left-hand side here, and run across the middle, then across the top. So a lot of these systems we only check once a day, and some of them just uh, before each flight. But I'll do the whole lot today, even though this is not the first flight. The first thing I'm looking at is the oxygen mask. Uh, the oxygen is switched on, so I'm just going to check that there's oxygen flowing to the mask. I can, there's a, like a little trigger I can squeeze, and that will inflate the, uh, the harness that goes around the head so I know that if I need the oxygen I can don it in a matter of seconds. 
we have the Eros type mask. It's an integrated uh, mask, face mask, and smoke uh, breathing apparatus. So it's an all-in-one thing. And the harness is inflates. You can put it on very, very quickly. And I'm just going to check also that the microphone on the mask is working, and it is. Okay, so moving along, I've got a couple of switches here to, to uh, test the smoke detectors and fire detectors in the rear uh, cargo bay. So I'm just going to try these one by one. I'm just looking for a few lights to light up and test the other one. So there we go. I know that the fire detection circuit in the cargo bay is working. Next, moving along, just down here by the control yoke, I've got something called the AHARS, the Oh, I embarrass myself, I can't remember what it stands for. Basically, it's the, the magnetic uh, heading unit. At the moment, it's in norm, or normal, which is where I want it. And I can just test, I can put it into slew, so it becomes a basic directional gyro, like you get in your Cessna 150. So if, it, if something goes wrong with the system, we can put it into slew, and we can manually slew the compass to the appropriate heading, so we can get a rough idea of which direction we're heading in if it all goes wrong. Moving along, I've got a whole bunch of buttons which are the reversionary modes for all our screens. So I've got four screens across the front here. If one of them fails, then I can take an input from the other side. So we've always got some our navigational data, navigational screen and our primary flight displays. So I could run through those, it takes a few minutes, but I've already done it once today, so I know they're all working. Moving across now down to, uh, we've got some, all the various fire. Oh, let's just turn that speaker off. Got some fire detection circuits for the cabin, for the lavatory, and a few others. So I'm just going to press the test button, and I can see that the the smoke, red smoke detection light is flashing up in front of me. So I'll just go through and test each one of those. Okay, that all appears normal. Now I'm going to go down to our radio page on the FMS. Got a dual Collins FMS here, and I'm going to go into our TCAS control page, and I'm going to put in our call sign for this next flight, which is SafeJet 791 Whiskey. So I put in the little code for SafeJet 791 Whiskey, and there we go, I can enter that. And also what I'm gonna do while I'm here is just test the TCAS system. So there's a little button here, I'm just gonna press test, and it's gonna have a little think of it. There's various displays and lights flashing up in front of me, and in a second you'll hear it say this. TCAS system, test OK. Super, that's what I want to hear. So the TCAS system is working nicely. Uh, and I'm just going to go through onto the other FMS and just initialize the system, confirm its position and confirm, uh, confirm that it knows where we are as a starting point. So that's good. Uh, moving along, I then got the dump valve. This is basically a manual control for the pressurization. I can open this valve and there's a, a little hole basically in the nose wheel where the nose gear is that will open a valve and it would let all the cabin air out if for some reason we needed to do that. Uh, it's just one of the couple of different methods we could manually control pressure if the automatic system failed. So I'm just going to exercise that valve. Immediately above that I've got the emergency locator beacon button. I'm not going to touch that but I can see that's uh, in the arm position. Moving across again I've got the same switches on the right hand side here. For the, for the reversionary modes for all the screens, so I, they were all tested this morning, so I'm not going to do that. Then across on the right hand side, if I reach across, we've then got the pressurization controller, which is a fairly basic controller. It's a automatic pressurization control, and it works very well. 
and all I'm going to do is a rotary knob I'm just going to rotate it round just looking at my flight plan here I can see that we're planned for the next flight at flight level 360 so I'm just going to set that to flight level 360 so hopefully if that's working correctly when we take off it will automatically uh, pressurize the cabin I'm just going to test some of the emergency lights and storm lights as well see all the lights coming on excellent just checking uh, another few switches down on the right hand side for the manual pressurization checking that the pressurization ground test switch which the engineers use for testing the, the pressurization on the ground is set to flight mode rather than ground test and the manual cabin control is set to full decrease moving to the top I'm going to test all the enunciator lights so just press the button and all the lights in the cockpit flash up I'll just have a quick scan around and I can see that all the lights are flashing and lit up so that's good news and also with all the, the various lights I have a, a master dimmer switch so I can dim the lights uh, when it gets a bit dark nighttime or I can brighten them up if I need to and then moving on to the stall system the stick pusher and the stick shaker which is a stall warning warns us if the aircraft's getting too slow or entering a stall and this aircraft has a dual two-channel stall system some of our aircraft have three but this one has two so to test it I'm going to there's two stall buttons up on the overhead panel I'm going to test each system one by one just to test this the stick shaker channel so as I press each one it's going to shake the stick there's a little um, electric motor in each control column and it's going to shake the stick it's quite loud and this is what it sounds like so the stick is shaking in my hand, it would be impossible to miss that stick shaking and I get a stall ident on the main enunciator panel and then on each of the two stall uh, channels on some lights on either side of the cockpit I can see stall channel one light up and then I'm just going to test the other one as well again so I've got stall ident and stall channel two lighting up now when I press both buttons together this should be testing that a stall has been detected by both systems and therefore it will activate the stick pusher which actively pushes the nose of the aircraft down to reduce the angle of attack so again it's going to be noisy but I'm holding onto the control column now and it should push the stick forwards I forget it's something like 20 pounds of pressure so here we go so shaking and two store channels and it's pushing the stick forwards that'll be quite hard for me to, to fight against it if for some reason I wanted to then moving on to the main fire detection system, the engine uh, fire detection system. Basically there's a, a, a wire, a fire wire running through uh, various parts of the engine and if it detects an over temperature it will trigger the fire warning systems. So this has got a couple of uh, warning bells associated with it so I'm just going to silence them to begin with and then I'm going to press the first engine one fire detection circuit. So I pressed it and I've got a whole bunch of red lights lighting up in front of me. In fact, there should be seven. So I'll count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So I can see there's seven lights, so it's detected the fire. So I'm just going to check if the bell's working. So I'm going to unsilence the bell. There we go. That's a very annoying bell. That would be hard to ignore if there was a fire. And I'll do the same on the other side. Just check, check engine number two. Seven lights are all lighting up. The master warning system's flashing at me. Test the bell. There we go, that's all nice. I'm going to test the air conditioning ducts for overheat. If, uh, if the air gets too hot, it should light up a couple of red warning lights on the enunciator panel. So I'm going to press that. HP air overheat. And I've got two red lights on the, 
on the annunciator panel and the master warning system is flashing red at me. So I can cancel that, that looks like it works. The ice detection circuit, you recall last time I spoke about that little rotary switch on the nose of the aircraft that detects ice. So I'm just going to press that, that will test the circuit. And I've got the ice protection light on the annunciator panel flashing at me with a little arrow saying look up to the overhead panel. And sure enough, the light on the overhead panel annunciator says ice detected. Super duper. The next one's another noisy one. This is the cabin altitude warning. If, uh, if the aircraft's depressurized or if the cabin altitude is climbing, once it reaches, I think the figure is 9,700 feet plus or minus a few hundred feet, it will trigger the cabin out warning system. This is another horrible buzzy noise. Here it goes. It sounds like this. Very loud, very annoying. And there's a little isolate switch on the throttles that I can cancel that with and I've just checked that as well. The next one's a fun one. It's the EGPWS circuit, the Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System. Now there's a couple of things here I can do. If I just press it once, it will run through and just check some of the systems are working, the ground proximity systems. If I was to hold my finger on it for five seconds or more, it would run through the entire sequence of call-outs, and that takes about two minutes and it's very boring. So I'll just press it once, and you'll hear it say the following things. Flight slope. Pull up. Wind shear. Wind shear. Wind shear. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. There we go, so that's the test sequence. It's just run through and checked all the main uh, call-outs, the wind shear, the terrain, and a few others. I always think that voice sounds a bit like Pee Wee Herman. Remember from the Pee Wee movies. Don't know why, but it makes me laugh. Oh, moving on then, a couple more test uh, buttons to press. Another noisy one, these are the over-speed warnings. So, uh, again, we've got two channels here. Of over, if with aircraft goes too fast, basically, if we go above our maximum operating airspeed or our maximum operating Mach number, we'll get the following annoying siren. That's one, and that's the other. Then, almost lastly, we've got the angle of attack system to check. You recall when we did the pre-flight check on the outside, there was the angle of attack sensor vane on either side of the nose. So I'm going to press this button. And I should see what I've got here in the cockpit uh, for either side. We've got a fast, slow, or on-speed flags just uh, on the sort of eye line above the primary flight displays. So I'm just going to test this one, and I can see all the lights light up, and the angle of attack sensor gauge has gone to maximum angle of attack. So that tells me the system's working. And that's pretty much all the checks. The next thing I would do would be to move down to the FMS and program in the flight plan. And this will take a few minutes, so I'm not going to run through it stage by stage. But basically I go through, I enter the number of passengers, I will enter all the weather details, all the temperatures, the winds, the cruise winds, the descent winds, uh, vertical profile, so I'll leave that as a standard three degree descent for instance. And then I can go through and put in the routing, our flight plan route, and also the uh, the standard departure, the standard instrument departure, the SID, and the standard instrument arrival, the STAR. And then I can go through and I can check all that and brief my colleague. Otherwise, the other things to check, I've got the trim settings. I've just checked those that they're all in the neutral position and the elevator trim is set to the takeoff position. It's quite an aft takeoff setting today, which probably means we've got a, a fairly heavy loading in the back. Uh, otherwise, that's all the checks done. I hope you enjoyed that. And I'll speak to you again soon on another Safety from the Flight segment. Take care for now. Bye.
Wow, thanks for that, Pip. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic, as always. It's been a good little series, actually. That has been a really mm. good series. We'd uh, love to hear your feedback on that mm. as well. For those of you uh, listening out there, if you could uh, send some feedback on what you've uh, what you've uh, found or what you've thought of uh, mm. Pip's segment, that would be great. We'll pass that yeah. feedback on to Pip. Yeah. Don't forget you can uh, find Pip with his own show, yep. The Plane Safety Podcast, uh, at uh, on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Or you can look on uh, on Twitter as well, Plane yep. Safety Podcast. And, and he's Facebook. also on Facebook as yes, well. Yep. So you can find Pip on there. Mm. Hopefully, we'll uh, Pip will get pa- uh, Pip back on next week for another segment. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, hopefully, we're looking forward to hopefully soon uh, getting Pip actually live on the show yes. yeah, to join to us for another episode. That'd be so. great. Actually, while we're on the subject of feedback, um, we'll cover that now. Uh, so thank you to uh, Jonathan Warner. He's been in touch this week, uh, and he's been uh, making inquiries about um, certain air shows that he's been visiting. Uh, Riyadh um, we'll cover in greater de- detail later on, and hopefully Jonathan will we'll get to, to meet you there. So if you are, do make sure you come say hello, yes. which will make ourselves nice and obvious. Um, but uh, he's uh, hoping to attend the Abingdon Air Show that's on on the 3rd of May, uh, so not far away, only a couple of weeks away left for that now. Where 3rd of May, is that, that is, uh, it's uh, in Oxfordshire, so it's Abingdon Airfield, uh, so it's Dalton Barracks uh, in Oxfordshire, mm. and that's on the 3rd of May 2015, as I said. And it's one of the first major shows of the year is the Abingdon Air and Country Show. The show has grown into a well-respected event, attracting a wide range of different displays from the military and civilian worlds. The show has even attracted international participation with Polish and American participants and the Royal Netherlands F-16 demo team ah, we were covering the F-16s earlier uh, as well as three and a half uh, as well as three and a half hours of flying display the show retains its country show theme with arena events and local stalls and uh, Carl if you want to just go through uh, the uh, current um, aircraft that are known to be particip- participating in this year's event yeah we've got some pretty notable ones the mm. uh, Royal Air Force uh, the BBMF the Battle of Brit Memorial flight. Yep. Uh, they'll be sending uh, their Avro Lancaster, uh, oh, the lovely. Supermarine Spitfire, the Hawker Hurricane, and also the Douglas Dakota uh, DC-3 yeah. will be there. Um, also the Eurofighter Typhoon, uh, Airbus Helicopters Puma lovely. HC-2, yeah. uh, the Augusta Westland Merlin HC-3, uh, the Grob Tutor T-1 and the Grob Vigilant T-1. Mm. Uh, the Royal Navy will have the fiery swordfish there. That'll be flying and static as well. Wow. And also there'll be a Westland Sea King uh, there mm. as well. Uh, there'll be some uh, classic jets and Cold War uh, ones there. They're going to have uh, the Fallen Nat T-1. Uh, those you remember that uh, was used to be used by the Red Arrows. Ah, yes, 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 that's the original. Yeah, and the BAC Jet Proverse T five, uh, Canberra PR nine, mm. uh, uh, North American T twenty eight, Westland Wasp. Wow. Um, there's also uh, De Havilland Canada Chipmunk, uh, the Gazelle Westland Gazelle as well. Uh, there'll be some Warbirds there, the mm. uh, Consolidated PBY Catalina. Yeah. Is going to be there. Uh, we've got uh, a North American T6 Texan, uh, Tiger Moth as well. Oh, I and do like the Tiger Moth. On the civilian a... side of things, uh, we've got the Pitts S1 Special, ah, uh, Lauren yes. Richardson. She she will be flying there. She yes, will be flying yeah. there. Uh, we had Lauren on the show a few a couple of weeks back. Ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, she'll be there. Uh, we've got also the Yak 52 from the Yak 1 squad there. They're going to be flying a display there as well. The Renegades Parachute Display Team as well. I've seen them in, in uh, action. They're really good. Really? 
the Robinsons R44 uh, for for a touch of helicopter fun. Mm. And also a Vans RV9A is going to be there. We've got uh, Kit Fox, which is an awesome little aircraft to see. And also we have as well the uh, Victor Aero Tour. It'll be there as well. So that's just a list of a few few of the aircraft mm. that uh, you'll see at the Abingdon Air Show this year. Yes. So uh, there's uh, loads more in the calendar for this year, for the air show calendar this year. Yeah. Um, uh, just flicking through, here we go. We're, what are we in? We're, in, we're now coming up to May. We we're are nearly we? in yeah, May. Yeah. Um, so on the 19th of April, which is today, we've got this, the old Buckingham Wings and Wheels, which is happening yep. today. Yeah, that's going on at the moment. Uh, in May, we have obviously got, as we said, the Abingdon Air and Country Show mm-hmm. on the 3rd of May. Yeah. Uh, we've got the VE Day Anniversary Air Show at Duxford on the 23rd oh. and 24th We ought to of try May. and get to that, you know. We should do. Yeah, yeah, shall yeah. we go to that one? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think we should. We'll put yeah. that in the diary. Yeah. We'll go to that one. <laughs> uh, um, and also on the 24th of May, uh, one that is definitely one that you need to go to on the 24th of May is the Cold War Jets Open mm, Day at Bruntingthorpe yeah. Proving Grounds in Leicestershire. Um, this one is an awesome just chance mm. to see some of the uh, Cold War jets mm. um, there. I like their tagline, actually, there. It says, we endeavour to keep the aircraft in operable condition and to help us exercise the craft. We have two open days per year where any aircraft that is serviceable will carry out full power taxi runs along our main runway. I can't, That's just that nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're, I just, a static display is great, isn't it? But there's no better way to see an aircraft than when it's up in the air, is there? Oh. It's just the best place to be. Well, well, quite right. That's what they were built for, yes. Uh, One of the uh, notable ones in June, Mm -hmm. on the 13th of June, uh, don't forget there's the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight at London Mm -hmm. Biggin Hill Airport in Kent. Um, I went to that one last year. That Mm. was a really, really good day. Um, There's going to be loads on display there. Uh, We'll... uh, just, I'm just clicking on the, just to see if there's any uh, see what's flying. big yeah. ones flying air this year. Yeah. So the Biggin Hill then uh, on the 13th of June. Um, yeah. I can't make it to that one. No, no, me neither. Um, but the Red Arrow is going to be there. Yep. Uh, the BBMF will be there. The Battle of, Brattle of Britain Memorial Flight will lovely. be there with uh, three Spitfires and three Hurricanes. Oh, lovely. Uh, there'll be Eurofighter Typhoon. The Black Cats Augusta Westland uh, team will be there. They are awesome mm. if you've seen them. Uh, the Royal Navy Historic Flight will be there with the Fiery Swordfish. Um, there's also going to be a few more Spitfires from mm-hmm. the Warburg Collection. Uh, the Bristol Blenheim will be there. Oh, wow. Love to see that one. Yeah. The Sally B, for those yeah. of you who know the Sally B, the B-17G mm. Flying Fortress, she's going to be there, uh, along with uh, a North American P-51 Mustang and a Messerschmitt BF-109. Lovely. Uh, there's also going to be some uh, Yakolov Yak-52s there. Mm. There's four of them there doing a display along with an extra 300S from the G-Force aerobatics team. Lovely. So there we go. We're going to bring obviously bring you throughout yep. the uh, course of the season. We'll bring you sort of updates yeah, and bits and pieces month month, yeah. on uh, what's going on at the air shows. Mm. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you uh, want to send us some feedback, for those of you who do get to go to these air shows that we don't get to go to, yeah. please do send us your feedback uh, in an email, yeah. and uh, we'll uh, post your comments and views uh, on the show when we record. We certainly will. To get in touch, what you need to do then is go to Facebook. It's www.facebook.com forward slash plain talking UK. Uh, Twitter, it's the same. It's twitter.com forward slash plain talking UK. And don't forget our actual website, which is www.plain talking UK. 
But no, what's it? I've forgotten. That's terrible. <laughs> really? I know. It's www.plaintalkinguk.com. Ah, I'm so <sighs> sorry. I thought there was the podcast bit in there. I'm so sorry. No, no it's just as well one of us knows what they're doing. How long have you been doing this, man? Well, clearly too long. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, normal service without wine will be resumed next week. Exactly. So that's where we are going to bring episode 57 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget, please do send us your feedback and uh, like us on uh, and put your comments on Facebook yep. we'll give you a mention uh, in we the show well lovely been a good show yes so join us next week then for episode number 58 Eight. of yep. the show and we'll have loads more uh, great news to bring you then so until next week it's goodbye from Matt and it's goodbye from me goodbye goodbye <laughs>